passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome back, everybody. It's the October edition of Post Pro Res. I'm John Pollock alongside WH Park. We are here to chat about all things going on in the Japanese scene. We're going to be previewing several big cards coming up, including the King of Pro Wrestling show and some big Observer Hall of Fame discussion. WH, how are you? Uh, John, I'm uh, a little uh, anxious. I, this is the calm before the storm. Literally, I'm expecting a big typhoon to hit. Numazu sometime tomorrow, late afternoon, early evening, and uh, it sounds like a big, bit of a doozy, this one. Well, uh, we all uh, are hoping that all is safe, that there's no um, significant damage from this. How how often does this happen per year for you? Is it like a handful? Is it, you know, one or two a year that you, because this is not the first time you have told me that you are, you know, awaiting a typhoon. Well, usually... You know, we have typhoon season, so it happens every year. Um, this year, the last time we did a show, we recorded the day before a typhoon hit, and I got the kind of the, the edge of that. So it was a lot of rain and heavy wind, but nothing too serious. But this one, uh, apparently I'm in the direct, direct path of this one. It, it's a, it's a, it's a motherfucker, John. So, uh, this is, this has kind of been a really, uh, a natural season, like summer kind of shifted over a month and then summer shifted a month later than it normally does in September. And now we're getting all the like typhoon stuff like a month later as well. So October, it doesn't usually have like heavy typhoons. Usually that's in September, but here we are. So I, I, I've prepared, I got food. I've got like 10 liters, about 10 liters of like drinking water in my refrigerator. I'm hoping the power doesn't go out tomorrow. I, I'm going to fill up my, my, everyone tells me, fill up your bathtub full of water for like, you know, various uses, washing and, and like, you know, for toilet water and stuff like that. So I got to do that after I finish this call with you. So got to prepare. It's, this is kind of the most worrisome typhoon I've had to deal with since I've lived here. Well, I'm thinking of you, WH. I hope, uh, I, I hope you uh, get through this issue. It's something that, uh, you know, I, I feel like so disconnected because in, in Toronto, like we are very thankful that we don't have to deal with, you know, earthquakes, typhoons. I mean, I have experienced two earthquakes in my life. Only one of them was in Toronto. The other was a time I was in a cab in L.A. And I'm going on the cab. I'm in the cab and suddenly it just starts shaking. And the taxi driver, for lack of a better term, just no sells it. And I just go, what was that? And he just says, ah, aftershock. It's like, oh, okay, you're, you're, you're definitely pretty, um, I guess, adapted to, uh, your surroundings here. But one time we got like a mini earthquake in Toronto and I was at work and we were on the second floor and there was one girl who just started crying. She freaked out and it was, it was noticeable, but, um, that is, that is the extent of me and natural disasters. 
John, have I ever told you that, like, people in the Shizuoka prefecture, we live in constant fear that one day Mount Fuji is about to explode because <laughs> it's an yes. active volcano? Yes. Um, you know, I, I am sure that there is a certain kind of, um, mental re- reinforcement that comes with that when you know that at any point there could be uh, something like that. I mean, I guess you look at, you know, there's always, there's always the fear of, of anything like that happening. We're getting deep into philosophy. This is a post philosophy here. That's right. So just, just one more note on that is that, so I have the, the worry to worry about Mount Fuji exploding and killing me with either not toxic gases or the lava. Uh, I, I don't live that close to, to Mount Fuji, but it's probably going to be the gas and the ash that might kill me. Then that will trigger an earthquake, which might kill me. And that might trigger a tsunami, and I live on a coastal town, so that might kill me too. So I love Japan, but there are points where I'm like, mm, maybe I should move back to Toronto sometime soon before all this happens. Well, um, you've you've really sold me on on coming over to Japan in a, in, a, in a couple of months. So hopefully we we avoid any any problems over there. It should be fine, John. We'll have a we'll have a fun time when you and Wei and everyone else. Ends up coming to Japan in, in January for the. Have you have you heard from from a lot of people in the in the wrestling world that are descending upon Japan in January? Oh yeah, tons of people like the normal group of like you know Tokyo Dome Wrestle Kingdom people like uh, I don't know if you know who he is real hero real hero Eric he he's responsible for for providing a lot of footage to pretty much all wrestling fans over the last ten years. Um, he's got a group like. Joel Abraham, Dean McDonald from Super J Cast are coming. Our our friend Martin Bushby's coming. Uh, our our mutual friend Robert Pearson and his and his uh, lady friend Caitlin are coming. Obviously, no way, really. I didn't know uh, Robert and, and Caitlin were going. That's, oh yeah, that's they, cool. They contacted me. They're like, we're, we got tickets. They're they're coming. Oh, that's awesome. The Very first cool. and yeah, we're gonna all hang out. I think Mark Romani's coming too, isn't he? Yes, he's going. Todd Martin's going. Dave Meltzer's going. Um, yeah, it, it's going to be a great time. I'm just looking forward to as much, uh, the people that are going to be there as, as much as going to some of these shows. It's going to well, be a lot I, of fun. I, I, I think Todd Martin wants to go to a show with all, with all of us. I can't guarantee I can get Todd Martin a ticket. So I hope he doesn't write a story about me saying I told him to drop dead or anything like that. Just putting that out. No, Todd would never do that. He'd definitely <laughs> save you for a rant instead in audio form, of course. <laughs> I, I look forward to hearing that. Okay. Well, we do have some breaking news. Breaking news even to WH. Well, not exactly. I warned him of this ahead of time. Everyone has, everyone's hitting us up. They, they said, you know what? WH, he killed it. The greatest podcast series in history. Cruel summer. Well, the summer ended. Where's, where's our fix? These are like junkies out there that just want more of the WH Park experience. And you tease them. You, you floated the idea of a series called Thunderstruck looking at the greatest or even not so greatest matches of Jushin Thunder Liger's career, his very expansive career that is going to wrap up in January. Well, Thunderstruck is going to be launching at postwrestling.com Saturday, October 26th. That's in two weeks from today, and it will be a weekly Saturday series here at postwrestling.com hosted by the one and only WH Park. Wow, this is a surprise to me, John. I'm excited to for it to drop. I'm excited for people to listen to some of these amazing conversations I've had with uh, people. And and your wish list came true, John. You said there's one particular person you wanted me to do a podcast with on this series, and it came true. So we're hoping you listen to this 
at one time the speed, not your normal uh, 1.5 or double speed. Oh, I will. Th- this will be a, a this will be a real time speed. Absolutely, one time I, for for this one. Should, should I mention the the combination that I I had requested, or should we leave it a, a mystery for when it drops? Yeah, tell them, tell them who you who you want so, to hear me talk to. I think I might have even said this on a show, perhaps. So I I can never remember now my public conversations with Way and my private conversations with Way. They all bleed together. But I said, you know, the two. If if this was the lethal lottery of people in our post wrestling family that I want to hear a show together that I've never heard together. It's W.H. Park and Benno. To me, that is the Chris Jericho and Eddie Guerrero of podcast tandems I think we have in our arsenal that have never done a show together. But I know it would be great. And W.H., he locked down Benno, and Benno will be a guest on Thunderstruck uh, one of these weeks. Well, you know, I can tell people that I've I've recorded it already, and it was a very, very fun conversation for me at least. I, I think Benno enjoyed it, and I think people will enjoy our the match that he picked. For, for it. I won't say what it is, but uh, he's already mentioned it over on uh, the Grapple Spotlight podcast that he does with uh, JP and uh, Joe Lemon. But uh, yeah, it's a fun conversation, John. I'm, I'm really looking forward to hearing your feedback on it. Look forward to it. Saturday, October 26th. Um, anything you can say about what the first episode will entail? Well, the first episode features uh, Dan McDonald from the Super J cast. And I picked him to be the first guest because like in in all my, the people who whose podcasts I listen to and, and I've talked to, he he has the like the deepest knowledge and the most most passion I've ever seen from anyone about Jason Fender Liger. So I thought it was appropriate that that he comes on the show and he's someone I have dubbed the the, the leader of the hardcore Jason Thunder Liger fan intelligence here, John. So you know it had to be him. Well, he's a, he's a great guest to kick things off. So uh, you can catch that each Saturday here on the site. But let's dive into uh, this month's topics. And we're going to start off with uh, some show reviews, beginning with King of Pro Wrestling that's going down on Monday from Sumo Hall. And this will be Kazuchika Okada's last title defense of the year. And we are assuming that coming out of this show, we will have the IWGP title match, at least for the first night of the Tokyo Dome. And that seems to be the big draw, which this is a pretty, pretty loaded King of Pro Wrestling card, I would say. I think so. I mean, if, if anything, it's, it's got a lot of like marquee matches, but I think it's a very predictable card as well. Like I don't foresee like Kodobushi losing the suitcase or non suitcase. Did he get a suitcase yet, Jen? I, I'm really behind on my New Japan Pro Wrestling lot viewing. Well, the, and- the suitcase got destroyed. I saw that. I just wonder if you got a replacement. If they if I, they ponied I, up. Um, yeah, I don't know if he's invested in a, in a new Halliburton. I mean, how else are you going? You know what? They really should be giving out you know USB keys with the contract on them. You know what's big in Japan, John? Like for like to give to fans and stuff like that. Clear files. Drop, Dropbox. No, they clear files. They should just give him a clear file to hold the contract in. That would be so Japanese, you know. Like if you if you love some particular anime or movie, you can get a clear file of said intellectual property. So they should have a New Japan clear file for Kotobushi to carry around his title contract for the main event of the Tokyo Dome IWGP Heavyweight Title Match, John. Well, our yeah, you you say predictable. I would say that's exactly how I would call this main event with Kazuchika Okada and Sonata. This, of course, uh, set up after Sonata's win in the final seconds of their G1 match uh, back over the summer. I don't think, like sometimes you always say, ah, they they could always go 
the other way, it's 95% one way. This is 100% one way of Okada winning this match. And I guess the question to you, WH, is, is Sonata the best guy to be in this, you know, setup slot? Did he get enough out of that win that he can afford uh, another loss to Okada at this particular time in his career? I think it'll be okay. I think everyone knows that no matter who is in this slot, they're going to lose to Okada because there's no way Okada's not going into the Tokyo Dome main event. Um, I, I'm not a big fan of like them having title matches, honestly, between now and then because the way New Japan books their their programs, especially their title programs, especially leading into Wrestle Kingdom, is you, like, you there's no unpredictability. Like you you know what the main event's going to be, and like Sonata is not at that level where he's going to replace Okada. Like if they booked the undercard a, bit, a little bit better like a little bit more like to the point of, okay, Sonata is, is on the cusp. Evil is on the cusp. Then, okay, we could see that replace Ibushi Okada, but we're not, they, they haven't booked those guys, you know, like that. So it's not going to happen. So I don't feel Ibushi's going to lose his contract to evil in this, in his match with him at King of Pro Wrestling. You, you doubt that Sonata and evil could headline January 4th. Well, not in 2019, John. Maybe in 2021. Maybe. We'll see. I, I will say this about the Tokyo Dome this year. I think that, yes, for, for night one, I think everyone realizes what the main event is going to be. And that that's like most years. I don't think there's always a lot of credence that the guy's going to lose his contract. It's, it's never happened yet. But I think the interesting part is night two because I think that is this whole uh, double champion idea that they're pushing. That's the night where – I, I don't have like a clear idea of necessarily where they're going with that night. And maybe we'll get a better idea. Yeah, maybe closer to power struggle, like when everything shapes up, because you do have to put together that whole second night as well. Yeah, you got to figure out what they're going to do with the IC title. If they're going to go with the, the mini tournament double champion idea. I mean, my early prediction is, is Naito in, in the main event of the second night. And it's pro, and I feel it's going to be against Okada, but. We'll see. I don't know. I don't want to, you know, be definitive about that right now. So, <laughs> I, th- I think you've learned about anything with with Naito. Yes, exactly. Uh, Kota Bushi and Evil. I mean, this should be very, very solid match. But I think again, it's this is setting the table for Okada Abushi, which when you're building up to a big show, you know, sometimes predictable is is not the wrong way to go. I would much rather this style of booking than. Let's do something that the fans will never see coming, and we do it to the detriment of our long-term story. Well, I do. I will say this, John. I think both those matches are going to be really, really good, and I think most fans are going to go into this thinking we're going to see a really good match between Ibushi and Evil and Sonata and Okada, and that's all we're hoping for. We're not expecting to see a title change or or Ibushi lose the contract. Yeah, I think this is all – I think both matches should deliver and then you get the big face-off at the end of the night and that sets up – it really starts off the build to uh, the Tokyo Dome shows after this one. Uh, United States Championship match, no DQ. John Moxley making his first defense, taking on Juice Robinson, re- uh, reviving this feud. A, will it be his last defense? B, will this be our last John Moxley appearance? Hmm, that's a good question. I don't know. I I get the feeling he's going to drop the title to Juice Robinson. I feel like maybe he's wrapping up his run with New Japan, but I don't know how long his contract is for. Uh, there was talk that like he would want to do Wrestle Kingdom and like his 
dream opponent, it seemed, was Minoru Suzuki. And we'll get to Minoru Suzuki a little later on, but maybe Minoru Suzuki is not going to be available for him to face at Wrestle Kingdom. So maybe he thinking, I'd, I don't know who I want to face if it's not Minoru Suzuki. So I'm going to say Juice is winning the title. I, I think he needs it more than Moxley. Moxley doesn't really need the title and he's got his commitments with AEW. So I think his, like, his availability to come to Japan from New Japan is going to be severely limited. Yeah, the, these two had a, a phenomenal match back in June. Um, the G1 match I didn't think was at the level of the first one, but, you know, after the G1, I think we all realized how, uh, John Moxley probably should not have been wrestling the second half of that G1 with the, uh, with his staff infection. So, um, I, I'm expecting a big match here for, from, from these two as well. And yes, I definitely see Juice getting the big win here because Juice has certainly been on the back burner. I would say ever since, ever since June, he didn't to me have a standout, uh, G1. So this is kind of getting him back into a more prominent role at this point with maybe an excessive title on New Japan's plate. You know what? One thing I will say, John, there better not be a barbed wire broomstick in this fucking match. That's all I'm going to say. Oh, when I saw that barbed wire broom, I was like, man, this is this is just this is for one. You, we talk about WWE being for the audience of one. I think Kenny Omega is out there for the audience of WH. I think he just I think he's very deep into, you know what? This will drive him crazy. I love this. <laughs> I, I want to know if he's a confirmed listener to this show and one of my followers. Secret, maybe he's got a burner account that he's following me on. That uh, that he's like, oh, what's he saying about me this time? <laughs> uh, the real main event of this show for me. IWGP Junior Heavyweight title. Will Ospreay, El Fantasmo. I think this could be the match of the show. I have very, very high expectations for this one. Um, I, I think this one's going to be phenomenal. I know you're not the biggest fan of El Fantasmo, the person. But in terms of the match, what are you expecting? Oh, yeah. I, I'm going to be in complete agreement with you. I think just Osprey is going to come into this thinking, oh, I got a title match. I'm going to defend my my title on this show. Like, I'm going to show up everyone else on this show. And, you know, when when he's on point, when Phantasmo is on point, and he's not doing some, like, nonsense dickhead stuff outside of the ring, he's perfectly fine, and I can enjoy his matches. I like recently how, like, a lot of his signature spots have been foiled by Osprey. I think there was uh, the super... The Super J Cup match where like he was doing the the rope walk on the barricade and then just Osprey kicked at it and I was like, why don't more people do that? That's brilliant. That that makes so much sense. So I'm hoping we're gonna get away from like a lot of the tropisms that like kind of you found in like El Fantasmo matches like during the 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 best of the Super Juniors and we see some like I I think we're gonna see a lot of innovation from both guys in this match. So I, I have high hopes for it as well. Yeah, this has been an unbelievable year for Will Osprey like of of any wrestler of recent memory having a year like this. And what I, I enjoy about these two, it's that they have this, this singles program, but they also have a legit tag program now with, with, with the partners with Robbie Eagles and Taiji Shimori that are more than just makeshift partners. Like they're, they're solid teams now and you have very different styles of matches when you incorporate the others as well. So I, I and they're going to be on that first day of the super junior tag league that we'll get into as well. But yeah, this match should just be, phenomenal like this is a very deep show sometimes you wonder when it's so deep that um you know if anything gets rushed or can uh the, the crowd be into all of this stuff but i mean this is this is a very top heavy card and that takes us into uh jushin, jushin thunder liger minoru suzuki were you surprised that they opted to go with this at in october as opposed to a later date and do you think that this is the 
the final match between these two? I, I think it is the final match, un- unless they're going to do like some kind of stipulation mask at at Wrestle Kingdom as Liger's final match. Like I can see maybe it's going to be mask versus whatever's left of Suzuki's hair, maybe. But I mean, we'll talk about, like I said, we'll talk about Suzuki a little later on, but the, the, you know, maybe he's not going to be around for Wrestle Kingdom. So if that's the case. Why don't you talk about what's going on with, uh, Minoru Suzuki and what Voices of Wrestling has reported? So, so Joe Lenzo over at Voices of Wrestling, you know, was, you know, has mentioned that he was, you know, you know, from various sources within New Japan have told him that, that Minoru Suzuki wants to get out of New Japan and he's probably leaving. After this program, that seems like the most likely exit point for him, that if it wasn't for his current program with Liger, that he would have been gone already. Um, I would assume that it's because of dissatisfaction with the way he's being used in the company. And the most likely like destination for him is pro wrestling Noah for several reasons. One, uh, he's... He's good friends with the current booker of that company, Nosaru Rongai, and he's good friends with Marafuji, who's one of the biggest stars in the company. And I would think it would be a great fit if he went to Noah, because like we'll talk about the the big Noah Sumo Hall show, but like mm-hmm. I, I think if Kaito Kiyomiya, the current GHC Heavyweight Champion, if he retains, which I'm thinking he is, there there's not a better opponent for him to kind of solidify his status as an ace in that company than against. You know, having a program with Minoru Suzuki, who I think can toughen up, toughen, really toughen him up and really elevate that guy. Like, there's only so much that the guys in Noah right now can do for him, even guys like Sugiera or Marafuji. But Minoru Suzuki has this unbelievable cachet of having wrestled in New Japan for the last, oh, I don't know what, like six years now. And he had that, that, you know, one year run where he invaded Noah before and then he came back to New Japan. But, Kaido Kiyomiya is like someone who I think really needs to get established by other people outside of the Noah roster to to kind of elevate himself in the eyes of the general, you know, Japanese professional wrestling fandom. If you were advising uh, Minoru Suzuki right now, would you lead him to just simply be a free agent that can bounce around to the highest bidder for interesting matches at what's got to be kind of the last leg of your career? I would imagine that if he if he makes Noah his home base, that it's not an exclusive deal. Like like he can do all Japan if he wants. He can do DDT or Big Japan. I I think he's doing some some dates in the United States with was it Warrior Wrestling? I heard maybe like he's doing some dates there. I imagine he wants to do a lot more dates in the UK. He's a god over there and like and do stuff in the United States as well. I I could certainly see if this guy has no. If he ends up, in fact, leaving New Japan and has no contractual ties to them, that to me is a name that AEW would certainly want to jump on for whether it be like a special attraction match or so- some kind of involvement. I could certainly see that. Oh, I would love to see Chris Jericho versus Minoru Suzuki in the AEW ring. Because I'm a big fan of like, – I'm not a huge fan of New Japan version of Chris Jericho, John, but I, I really like – aw version of chris jericho i there's a there's these subtle differences in the way he presents himself in aw that i prefer a lot more than how he how he presents himself in new japan so i would love to see Minoru suzuki versus chris jericho in aw for maybe for that aw world title john if this is in fact the liger and suzuki's blow-off match like you somehow have to involve the kishin liger character somehow right because it just seems like you shot such a big angle it's got to have some kind of payoff here Maybe it's going to be he rips off the mask, he's Kishin Liger underneath, and then he dumps a bucket of water 
on him and, and, and reveals him to be Keiichi Yamada because he's been calling him Yamada recently in, in, in their interaction. So I, I got to think that at some point they're going to, you know, re- go full bolt, full tilt and just reveal his face, his real face to the whole world at some point. I, uh, th- this probably has a lot of people's most interest going into this. Just it's been one of the better feuds this year. And I just think fr- from now until January, whether it's January 4th or 5th that they do the retirement, that I think every Liger match, the few that he has, they're going to have such uh, enormous drama attached to them because now we're in the home stretch that this is this is kind of the the final. And this is probably his last big singles match until the Dome, you would think. I think I've heard that January fifth is his re- actual retirement match. That's is going to that's going to be a singles match with somebody. I can see him putting someone over, like a younger guy, maybe a returning dude, or like maybe Osprey or something. Who knows? Like that's the good thing about this year's Wrestle Kingdom. But you, you don't know what's actually going to happen, especially with the undercard, especially with something like Liger's retirement. That it creates a lot of intrigue. Like I'm I'm more buzzed about going to these two shows this coming January than I was about going to last year's, you know, Russell kingdom. Yeah. And it'll be interesting how many, like, do we get some angles on this show setting up the Tokyo dome or are they going to reserve a lot of the angles maybe for power struggle when they, they shoot a lot of those angles because the Liger one is probably at the, uh, along with that main event on this, on the second night, this is the kind of big mystery. Who will that opponent be for Liger? Um, Cause there's different directions you can go and like, I just don't know if you're taking like someone coming back that's been on an excursion. Is that, is that big enough? Um, versus, yeah, the idea of an Osprey. Um, yeah, there's different options you can do. Maybe we get some tease of that coming out of this match. And then the rest of the card, we have, um, series of tags here. It's uh, Hiroki Goto, Tomohiro Ishii, and Yoshihashi taking on Kenta, Jay White, and Yujiro. Then a six-man with Tetsuya Naito, Shingo Takagi, and Bushi against Zack Sabre Jr., Lance Archer, and Taichi. In the second match of the night, it's Hiroshi Tanahashi's 20th anniversary match. Hiroshi Tanahashi and Tomoaki Honma taking on Toru Yano and Togi Makabe. Um, it was uh, – SI had reported this, that Tanahashi and Jericho, who shot that angle earlier this year – Appears to be the Tokyo Dome match. Do you see um, maybe a promo from Jericho? Any kind of hint of that um, to give you something uh, above this uh, than just a throwaway tag for Tanahashi on this show? Yeah, I think that's the most logical thing is that we're going to see some kind of profanity laced uh, video from Jericho targeting Tanahashi and like setting something up. Maybe he's even going to uh, fly over. Maybe maybe Big Tony Khan's going to lend him his private plane to. Uh, like, let, let Jericho shoot the angle. Though I gotta say, John, I watched a bit of the, the media scrum, Tony, Tony Khan, when that question came up about, you know, like Chris Jericho possibly doing the Tokyo Dome match with Tanahashi. And then he, <laughs> I was laughing so hard, John. Tony Khan seems like so put out, like, well, you know, they, you know, you know, they should do us a favor. They, you know, we do, we're doing them a favor. I'm just laughing so hard. It's like, dude, you let, him have that contract where he could do New Japan. Same with Omega. Like, there's no one to blame but yourself. If New Japan doesn't want to play with you, that's not on them. That's on you. And the opener will have Rapongi 3K and Ryusuke Taguchi against El Desperado, Yoshinobu Kanemaru, and Doki. And this is uh, Desperado's uh, return after uh, 
being injured earlier this spring. So that's King of Pro Wrestling. Uh, what are your thoughts overall on the card? I, I think that, you know, especially the, the latter half, very, very deep card. Yeah, I, I don't think you need to load it up too much beyond like, you know, like Liger and up. Everything else can be just be like, you know, your typical New Japan, you know, multi-man tags. And I, I think you're going to see a lot of setup. The Goto, uh, Jay White match is going to be set up in their six man. The Naito, I don't know what, like, who's, I guess, I think they're doing Naito and Taichi program again until he's ready to, like, I guess challenge Jay White again, maybe. Um, Tanahashi, that's just a throwaway match. I, and I think you're right. I think probably Jericho is going to show up but either maybe in person or on the video. And the opener is just, you know, to Gucci with Rapunki 3K. It's just, I think it's more for, you know, to showcase Desperado. He's back from his injury, which is good to see. I, I, I kind of missed him recently. So I'm, I'm really excited to see Desperado come back. Earlier this week, they announced the participants for the Super Junior Tag League, which will start off next Wednesday. So our teams are El Desperado and Yoshinobu Kanemaru, Taiji Shimori and El Fantasmo, TJP and Clark Connors, Sho and Yo, Will Ospreay and Robbie Eagles, Ryusuke Taguchi teaming with Rocky Romero, Yuya Uemura and Tiger Mask, and representing CMLL, Teton and Volador Jr. with, of course, the notable omission of Dragon Lee, who... Uh, there had been posters out promoting him, and everyone was expecting him to be paired with Teton, and then the fallout occurred with CMLL, so I don't think this came as a big shock, but yeah, I would say not to the detriment of the tournament, but, you know, that's, um, it's a downgrade, not having Dragon Lee and in his place as Volador Jr. Yeah, I don't know. I think they're just playing nice with CMLL as far as this goes. I think they couldn't, like replace both CML guys to just accommodate Dragon Lee, who I'm sure they're thinking, we got to sign this guy to cook a contract. And I think they could probably get away with it because as far as the New Japan CML relationship goes, like you got to think New Japan has the upper hand on that. Like they, they enjoy a very long and healthy relationship with CML. But if they really wanted to sign, you know, Dragon Lee to an exclusive New Japan contract, I don't think CML is going to be too upset about it in the sense like they're going to say, we're not sending you any guys. We're not going to do fantastic mania because that doesn't hurt New Japan per se as much as it hurts CML because a lot of the guys in CML really want to do the, the fantastic mania tour, you know, because they can make so much money selling a lot of their own merch to the fans that come to those shows, John. Yeah. And, I wonder how New Japan views their international relationships in the wake of everything that's gone down this year with Ring of Honor that, you know, from the outside looking in, how much more confidence they have that, hey, we can go do these U.S. shows on our own and realizing the the strength in our brand abroad. Because I think that was always something that they believed that, you know, we have to cater to our partners because we we need them. And I think suddenly they're realizing, you know, in this equation – we are the A side and we can, we can, we can dictate what we want. And certainly this is a example of them, I think, trying to appease CMLL. But for the long term, I think New Japan, I'm very curious to see how they view these partnerships in terms of, you know, we, we have our guys, we have our audience. Um, do, do we have to necessarily play nice? If we want a Dragon Lee, we're going to use a Dragon Lee. Oh, I, I think we're going to see Dragon Lee in New Japan for wrestling, John, as a New Japan contracted wrestler. Um, I mean, they didn't send anyone to CMLL for excursion. They sent Narita to the LA Dojo and they sent Shota Umino to the UK. So that yep. 
tells me a lot that they didn't even bother to send anyone. I, I got to think they weren't happy with the way Kawato was used. And like, I don't think he's going back there. I think they're kind of waiting for him to be like ready for them to like finally debut, re-debut him in the New Japan ring. Same thing with like Oka as Rado Karn. Obviously he's resurfaced in Rev Pro in a tag team with uh, Rampage Brown. Maybe they're going to bring that together them together as a tag team into the world, uh, the world tag league. We'll see. Um, but I think Okarn's like on his way back sooner rather than later. And we'll see about Kawato, but I don't think Kawato is going to be going back to Mexico anytime soon. No, I think it's been a really unremarkable excursion for a guy that I was super high on, on this guy. Like I, I just looked at this guy's, I can't miss prospect and he very well still may be, but I just don't think, like, you have to weigh this. Like, we are taking this guy out, and what is he getting out of that time away uh, versus, you know, we could be sending him elsewhere or even staying with us during during this time. I think, you know, the excursions, it's, it's tough to be getting – like, the idea is guys getting out there, getting tons of dates and being able to gain that experience and then come back with that fresh coat of paint. And it just seems that, you know, what what's the risk and reward in some of these excursions? And also notable here, the um, – no ROH representation in this tag league either. No, I think we can pretty much say that that, that relationship, like ROH's pay-per-view buy rates, are dead. They are very, very, very down. I think uh, the last reported number, 800 for Death Before Dishonor. I tweeted that out, and our good friend, your your ROH uh, review partner, Mike Murray, private messaged me. He's like, you know what he said, John? This is usually what he says when I when I say something mean spirited. Ouch. That was it. That's uh that's about maybe that'll be the new name of their next pay-per-view. Ouch. Let's move on. Let's move on to some other shows here because we have a, a few to get through, including uh, another show that's happening on Monday over at uh, Cork Hewn Hall as Stardom has their World Champion Wars card. This is going to be headlined by B Priestley defending her World of Stardom title against five-star Grand Prix winner uh, Hana Kimura, as well Arisa Hoshiki defending the Wonder of Stardom title against Kagetsu. Uh, tell us a bit about this show, WH. Well, I'll... Uh- they're also in the midst of their uh, goddesses of uh, stardom uh, uh, tag team tournament. So there's also going to be two tournament matches. Uh, um, in the blue goddess uh, bracket, we have uh, Natsu Sumier and uh, Session Moth Martina taking on uh, Bobby Tyler and Zoe Lucas. So it's going to be Oedo Tai, the foreign contingent of Oedo Tai taking on the foreign contingent of the Tokyo Cyber Squad faction, which is the group led by Hana Kimura. Uh, in the Red Goddess bracket, we have Mayu Iwatani and Saki Kashima taking on Momo Watanabe and Azumi. And I think, John, that match is going to be awesome. Like, Momo is amazing. I've, I rave about her. And Azumi is, like, an amazing athlete as well. She's a great wrestler. And it's Mayu Iwatani, John. Like, Mayu Iwatani in stardom itself. And she's teaming with her regular tag partner in Saki Kashima. It's, that's going to be an amazing match. That's really got my interest. And yeah, the, uh, I'm, but I gotta say the most interesting match to me is Arisa Hoshiki, who is like my favorite, one of my favorite wrestlers. I don't want to say my favorite female wrestler, but like one of my favorite wrestlers. She's like in my top four, John. I just love her matches. She's so awesome. And she's going to take on Kagetsu, who's the perfect opponent for her. John, have you been watching Arisa Hoshiki matches recently? Not recently, no. 
just go on and just watch her matches. I know it's hard to catch up. You got so much on your plate, but just go to Stardom World. Just find all the, all her wonder Stardom title matches. They're so good, John. Like, I think she had one recently with Hazuki that was amazing. Like, she had one with Tom Nakano that I absolutely loved. Like, just so great. Like, just go watch and you're going to be like, she's going to be your top five workers of by the end of the year. I guarantee it, John. But I'll probably watch this card. This is like a nice manageable card. We've got six matches that that's appealing to me. It is. And the, the thing is, you can skip what I like about stardom. Stardom does not put on these four plus hour shows. It's like they're, it's, it's compact. It's, uh, because I, I am, I'm not going to set aside like my entire day to watch a stardom show. I just don't have the time, but this is like this, uh, this whole card. It looks like very fun, easy to watch card. And there should be some really great stuff in here. It's designed to be short so people can leave Cork and Hall. Like, and then head over to Sumo Hall. That's what the whole purpose of the show is being started at like 1130 is, right? <laughs> so it's good. They, they're very conscientious that we're, there's another big show happening about, you know, 20, 30 minutes by train away from us. Let's try to finish the show in time for those people to maybe leave, get lunch, and then go to see King of Pro Wrestling. But I'm going to say as far as the, the World of Stardom Championship match, I'm going to say my prediction is Hana Kimura is going to beat B Priestley. I think B Priestley is going to be ramping up her appearances in AEW more. So I, and I think Hana Kimura is ready. She's being, she's like the most pushed person, you know, in the company right now. And she's been that way since she came back from Mexico. The Tokyo Cyber Squad faction is really hot. So I'm predicting a title change and that uh, Hana is going to become the red champion after uh, the 14th. All right. Yeah, this looks like a really fun show coming up on Monday. So that's right before King of Pro Wrestling. All Japan has a card on the 24th. This will be their next major show because we've got Kento Miyahara with uh, his string of incredible matches this year. Uh, we'll likely continue that streak defending the Triple Crown against Jake Lee. We also have uh, Ryojis, Ryojisai and Zeus defending the All Japan Tag Titles against your man Joel Redman and Yoshitatsu on top as well. Yeah, I, I'm really excited about this. I think Yoshitatsu works really well in a tag situation. And I'm, of course, very high on uh, Joel Redman in All Japan. So I'm really interested in that match. But, of course, the thing I'm most excited about, John, is Kento Miyahara having another probably excellent title match with uh, Jake Lee, uh, the the winner of the Royal Road Tournament that we had back in September. Uh, they... They faced off each other in the finals. It was a great match. I expect another great match. And you know, one of the things I've noticed about Kento Miyahara recently, John, is that he doesn't try to have the same match. He's really going out of his way to like change things up. He doesn't try to have the same finishing sequence. And he's really, really going out of his way to put over everyone he has matches with. He's not interested in getting himself over. He realizes I'm the ace of this company. I'm the most over guy in this company. I don't need to show that. All I need to do is get these other people over. And I, especially when he's in there with Naoya Nomura and Jake Lee. They're they're phenomenal together. These two, like that September 3rd match, just dynamite between these two. Like Naoya Nomura, I'm such a big fan of that guy and his chemistry. Him and Kento are just like that. That could be their, their long term, whatever you want to compare it to. Like they're the, the signature feud of all Japan for the next decade. Yeah, and I, you know, gotta give some credit to Jake Lee. I think since he's, you know, like in the last couple of months, I think he's gained some confidence in the way he carries himself in the ring. And I, I don't feel that, you know, Kento's gonna lose 
to Jake Lee at this show because they, there's been talk that they want this particular reign to be the one that breaks Toshiaki Kawada's 10 title defense uh, reign that he had back in the 2000s. And like, this is match eight. So I think we can have him win this one. He'll do one more in November. And then what I'm hoping, John, what I'm hoping is that January 3rd, not the second, but January 3rd at Corican Hall, we'll, we'll be in, you know, Corican Hall watching him defend that belt against the, the 10th, his 10th defense against whoever it might be. I'm hoping it's Naoya Nomura again, but it'll be the third time. So I don't know if they're going to do that. And I don't think Naoya Nomura should suffer a third loss in a title, in a title match against Kento Miyahara, but we'll see what happens. If that does happen, we're in for a treat for a great match. So we'll see what happens. And then we move on to Noah. This is uh, coming up on November 2nd, a, a pretty big show for them. I mean, say no more, Timon Honda and Mitsuo Mamota teaming together in the opener. Against the Dark Agents, John, Aki, Akitoshi Saito and Maso Inoue. This is an old school no opening match, John. <laughs> this is like something you would have seen in the heyday of like, you know, Masao and Kobashi on top, uh, this kind of a match. But, um, yeah, no, this can, is, a- can you just go over the show title here? Is this, is this accurate? Noah the best 2019 battle of aesthetics. <laughs> yeah. I think that if you talk about the main event, like that's definitely a battle of aesthetics with between, uh, you know, Kaito Kimia, the GHC champion against his challenger, the winner of the N1 victory tournament, John Keno. And we'll talk about. This, what I, I feel is like what I call the, uh, new Japanification of pro wrestling Noah. But yeah, oh. Noah the best 2019. I'm going to this show, John. I'm going with, uh, my old partner, Jojo Remy. Uh, I've got tickets already. I'm, I'm very excited to see this show. Um, yeah, so maybe some of the other matches we have Muhammad Yone, Quiet Storm, High 69, uh, Hitoshi Kamano, Junto, uh, Miyawaki and Sonico. They're taking on the Sugiera army of Kazushi Sakuraba. Kazuma Sakamoto, El Hio de Dr. Wagner Jr., Hajime Ohara, and Nosawa Rangai. That's a, that's a hell of a multi-match tag match right there, John. What jumps out at me is Shuhei Tanaguchi taking on Kazuyuki Fujita on this card. That's going to be shit, John. I'm, I'm sorry. I know that's pretty people- random for 2019 that you get a Fujita singles match with a Tanaguchi on a Noah card. No, not, not if you really think about like, you know, that Rangai, you know, the booker of Pro Wrestling Noah is a huge mark for Fujita. And like, he's friends with the dude, like, like Cosmo Sakamoto being in the company is because of that. Sakuraba is because of that. If Minoru Suzuki shows up, it's because of Rangai. Like, he's just bringing all his friends into the company. Um, I'm not a huge fan of Fujita going into this because like, he, he had the match with Masaki. Was it, no, was it, uh, he had the match with, uh, Yoshiki Inamura, who's like one of their, top prospect young guys who's in a tag team with Kitamiya. They're called the tough. Like this guy's got, he's the future of this company, you know, John, but like he just got squashed by Fujita and it wouldn't be so bad. That's kind of Japanese style. But like, do I think Fujita is the type of person that's going to return the favor like six months down the line? No. And, and if I think that wrong guy thinks that, and he booked that shit, that match anyways, with that result. So, if I'm proven wrong, I'll be very happy. But Fujita being in, in Noah, I don't see it being beneficial to really anyone. He's not the name he used to be. The only person it benefits is like his wallet. And that's not something I'm like too keen on, to be quite honest with you. Uh, we've also got uh, Impact Wrestling involvement here with their relationship with Noah. 
revved up again. Michael Elgin's being sent over here to take on Takeshi Sugiura. That's second from the top. And Eddie Edwards also on this card with Atsushi Katoge and Chris Ridgeway against Masaki Mochizuki from Dragon Gate, Minoru Tanaka, and Super Crazy. Um, more, more so the Elgin involvement. Uh, do, do you like this pairing and what impact can provide for Noah and vice versa? I think it's a good relationship in the sense that you know, Noah's not gonna be, you know, dominating the relationship and not, Impact's not gonna be dominating the relationship. They're kind of even keel, in my opinion. Like, you know, Noah's not the most prominent company in Japan. They can't really dictate terms to Impact and Impact's not the most dominant company in, in North America. So they're not gonna be dictating. I think it's a very, maybe gonna be equal partnership. Uh, the match with Elgin, it's interesting cause like he had the match with Sekimoto in Big Japan like a couple of months ago and that drew very, very well. So it's kind of proven that Michael Elgin outside of New Japan is actually a draw and like not, you know, not only has Big Japan realized this, you know, but also Noah has realized this and like this, it's no accident that they, that they, you know, they wanted him to be in this like semi main event match for this new title, John, the GHC national championship. And again, this is another indication we have, we had the N1 victory tournament, which oddly enough sounds kind of like the G1 climax. Uh, we have the new GHC title belt that they're going to give to the winner of Kaido Kimi and Keno. Have you seen this belt, John? No, describe it for us. It, imagine the IWGP heavyweight title, but it says GHC instead, and that's pretty much what this belt looks like. And then we have uh, this national championship, which is essentially their version of the... I think it's more like symbolic of like being their version of the, the United States championship because the the belt color is red which is such an odd choice if they made it white i would have said it's the icy title but i think they made the strap red on purpose because like ledette the 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 parent company of noah just seems to be like their mentality seems to be like we have to be like new japan we have to be like new japan which i i get it and new japan is the most successful company in japan right now like they're head above head and shoulders above everyone else so I can think of if I'm the parent company of a wrestling company and I want to model myself after someone, it'll be New Japan. But at the same time, you run the risk of make what makes Noah appealing to fans who don't want to watch New Japan, which is like it's Noah. It's like it's a different style of wrestling. It's different aesthetics. And, you know, and like people want an alternative. No, not everybody wants to watch new japan for wrestling john like there's that's why companies exist like noah dragon gate and, and all japan if you were looking into your wh park crystal ball 12 months from now what is the number two company in japan one year from now maybe stardom john like they're wow they're really building like their attendance is pretty steady like i I feel like maybe 2020 is going to be a year where they try to expand. I don't, and what that means, I don't know, but like some kind of move to like kind of take them, their business to another level. Like, like they sell out, not sell out, but they do very well with their cork and dates and like their shows across Japan, like maybe better than, you know, like all Japan and Noah consistently, but like also there's Dragon Gate. Dragon Gate's doing very well for themselves as well, like with the, their new champion, Ben K. So we'll see. Like I'm going to say either Stardom or, or Dragon Gate is going to be number two next to New Japan. 
And do we know how easy it will be to watch this Noah show? Are they putting this on YouTube like their other big shows this year? This will be on Samurai on the 10th, I believe. Uh, I'm just looking up my notes here right now. Uh, yes, this will be ah, – this is going to be broadcast on G Plus on November 10th. Uh, 9 p.m. Japanese time. So you'll probably be able to get it by certain means uh, on the 9th, like, you know, uh, on the 10th as well, like the, in, in Canada, in the United States. So if it if it shows up, John, I'll probably acquire it. I'm going to see it live. I'll acquire it. I'll, I'll, you know, alternative means let you be able to see it as well. Because what I've liked about Noah is that they, they, they seem to have been, been pushing it like th- through YouTube just to try and, uh, attract people. So, um, this would be a card that I would say would be one of those. Like if you have no other way to watch this, at least make it available to people. I think they'll probably put it up in clip form on, on YouTube and maybe some of the key matches, but I don't know why they're not going ahead with a streaming service. If, if you, if Big Japan has a streaming service, like, albeit not the best one, but, they still have a streaming service. I don't know what is preventing Noah from having one, unless they're they're trying to like get all their like ducks in a row before they roll it out. Maybe they're going to announce it at Sumo Hall. We'll see. And the final card, um, this is going to be happening that following Monday after the. It's a very busy weekend. That Noah cards on the Saturday, Power Struggles on Sunday, and then Big Japan has an interesting card on the Monday. It's going to feature a. Uh, a death match for their death match heavyweight title with Asami Kodaka defending against Yuko Miyamoto, Kohei Sato taking on Daichi Hashimoto for their world strong heavyweight title. Uh, but the interesting one, Walter coming over to team with Daisuke Sakamoto against Yuji Okabayashi and Yuji Hino. It's a big chop match, John. <laughs> this these- is going to be, um, quite the spectacle for, However long this goes, which should, this probably should get some significant time. This is the big boys match, literally. You know, I, I when they announced this, they announced this at the uh, the WXW World Tag Festival, and like apparently, and I remember just seeing my timeline blow up at all the people I know who are attending that, just like, like, what Walter's gonna be in Big Japan at Sumo Hall? He's teaming with Daisuke Sakamoto, and we had that we had that team in in Toronto, right? They were on the the Smash show taking on uh, members of the the Pillars, right? Like, I didn't go to that show, but we saw them have a singles match at the WXW show in Toronto back in August. So them teaming up, and they're going to face, John, I'm going to see Walter have a chop battle with Yuji Okabashi and fucking Yuji Hino. My God, like, you know, like, that. that's like, I, I'm like salivating at the thought of that, John. It's, it's just, I'm so excited. Unfortunately, I won't be going to this show live because, like, I already booked my hotel and, and and trying to get extension on my hotel stay in Tokyo for that weekend is is impossible. So I'm going to be oh. going home, but I'll I'll somehow watch this as well. But yeah, I'm very very excited. To me, it's really interesting. Like, what kind of deal does Walter have? Like, he got pulled from the WXW like World Tag Festival for for by NXT UK for some stupid run-ins or something like that. I don't know what the the taping results were. But well, allowed- it sounds like afterwards he had to remove himself because it sounds like they're they're doing like run-throughs the night before NXT. So I mean, the the Observer had a correction this week that insinuated it was more Walter pulling out rather than WWE saying you can't do this. That's how it came across this week in the Observer. But it's 
like it seems from the outside and it's like I don't know the specifics of his deal, but it seems that he has a lot more latitude to be doing those outside dates than than other guys because you know big japan you would certainly think falls outside the parameters of what your you know the the length of what a wwe contracted performer would be doing it seems that walter certainly got a unique deal yeah i mean like the the idea of the wwe uk champion in a tag team match with one half of the big japan world tag team tag team champions uh, a zero one guy and another prominent Big Japan guy in the same match is is just kind of uh, mind blowing to me. Like that that's the world we live in in 2019. What what do you see for for Walter over this next year? Like he's being used more and more on the weekly NXT show on Wednesdays. This has been a guy who has always been adamant that he is not moving. That he you know he's got his role with with the the dojo over there. Um, but but where do you, do you see him just kind of maintaining this the, this kind of schedule where he's still uh, based out of his home but is going to just do more traveling for WWE or do you see him ultimately potentially you know making that move given how prominent they have been featuring him? Yeah, I, I got to think they're like being really you know lenient with like his outside bookings because they eventually are going to make him that offer where hey we want you to move to the United States. We want you to like go to NXT Florida. We, we want you on the main roster. Whether he wants that, I know like, you know, I've read the same things you have, John. Like he's never had an interest. He wants to still be a, a teacher at the WXW training school. He doesn't want to leave his, his home. I think, I don't know if he still lives in Austria or he's moved to Germany proper. I, I think he lives in Germany now, but he doesn't want to leave there. And to be honest, I, I don't blame him. He, he has his cake and he wants, and he can eat it. If he wants yeah. to do, Big Japan, they'll take him. Like if he wanted to do all Japan as well, they they take him too. Like there's no one who's gonna say no to like having Walter on their show because like he's fucking Walter. So I think with Walter, like his WWE deal, I don't know how long it's for. I imagine he's he's doing it more to satisfy a, a curiosity and maybe check off a box in his career. Like I worked for the WWE, I was a champion, I had good matches with wrestler a b and c like he he had the match with Kushida recently i haven't watched it yet but it sounded like it was a really good match i can't imagine oh yeah he was great he was very happy with oh, i got to wrestle Kushida. I, i'm gonna wrestle all these great guys that are signed to the wwe while i'm while i'm here but when i'm done when i've had my fill when the trial is full i'm gonna leave i i can see him easily just walking away from the wwe unless they put such a high you know like they just back up the the gold truck, John, and just dump all this bullion in in front of his house. That he's like, oh, oh, really? You're gonna give me that much? Okay, and they can afford it. They have all this money, John. So if they want Walter, they can afford to like give him whatever he wants. Even maybe including like, you know, some I don't know, like leeway in like how many shows he does for them. Well, and that's that's where you look at, you know. I, I have no doubt. Like this guy, obviously, he has a clear desire to have have his his influence, to have his school, and and be based out of there. But you also look at the fact that okay, I step away for three years, I make money that can set me up because this guy does not seem like a guy that lives an ultra extravagant life that sets me up for my years beyond wrestling, and I'm on a global stage where my name will be that much more prominent. And then I go back to I go back to Germany and I have all the notoriety of three years of WWE television. I've got 
money save the way and then i can i can build that much more out of uh, out, out of my dojo at that point i mean those are all the the factors that you look at here when the wwe can make significantly larger offers than they had been in in years past if they really want somebody maybe they offer him a match against brock lesnar john maybe that would be the 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 deal sealer for him because i can see him being the type of guy like oh i get to have a match with brock lesnar and maybe uh, maybe he says i want a match against daniel bryan while while i'm at it too if i sign with you guys so i can see them saying okay yeah here's the money and here are the matches you want but then we control the rest of your booking he has to put up with all the other shit maybe he has to sell for the fucking fiend john that wouldn't be good he he uh, would he get a new name would walter not pass the uh the test of uh God damn it. Walter. Walter what? Is it Walter Mathau? That's his new name, John. Mathau. He's Mathow. fucking Mathau now. God damn it. Well, that's the Big Japan card. Uh, WH will not be making it there, but I'm sure he'll be finding it um, on Big Japan World. That's right. Uh, BJW Core. Big Japan World. BJW Core, John. That's the name of their it- streaming site. Let us move on over. Uh, it's Hall of Fame season. The Wrestling Observer Newsletter uh, sending out their ballot. It is closely approaching the deadline. So we were going to go through the Japanese candidates. We'll, uh, we'll spend some time here on each candidate. There's also some uh, non-wrestlers uh, this year that we may touch upon, including a ghetto who is up for election this year. But uh, let, let's just start right at the top of the list here. And I will pull up their results from last year as well, if I can find these. Uh, starting off with Junakiyama. Last year, 55%. The threshold to enter the Hall of Fame is 60%. I am going to forecast that this is Junakiyama's year to get in. I know that there's a hell of a case to make for Junakiyama into the Hall of Fame. In your estimation, WH, uh, following this guy as closely as anyone, what has been the hang-up? That has prevented Junakiyama from crossing the finish line, which he very well could this year. I think it's because he's never been recognized as a headliner and as a box office draw that Misawa and Kobashi were in Noah. He was still a, a young boy, you know, essentially in his time in all Japan before the split. Um, I think the timing of his career, like if he, if the split never happened, I think he would have become Triple Crown champion. I think he would have continued the momentum that Kawada, Misawa, and Kobashi started in All Japan in the 90s. He would have continued it with, you know, like, you could tell who the next four that Baba, before he died, were going to push was him, Taiokea, uh, Takao Mori, and uh, Yoshihiro Takayama. Those were going to be his next four guys after the original four pillars. So if that didn't happen, he would have become a headliner a lot sooner. He had to wait behind Misawa, you know, in Noah, because like Misawa booked himself to be the champion, which was smart. He was, of course, the biggest star in the company at the time. But I, I would vote for him. Like I would have voted for him the first time he, he got onto the ballot because I, if for nothing else, John, he, he saved all Japan after the, the, the Kejimuto exodus and he took all the, all his guys to form Russell one. The person that saved that company as a booker was Jun Akiyama. But I would also take into consideration his All Japan career. I would take consideration like he's an, that he was an amazing worker for all of his career. His, his, uh, his Noah run, he was integral to the success of that company, even if he wasn't the GHC champion right away. Uh, but he held that belt and I think he did really good business with the belt, uh, as a booker. 
And as uh, as someone went like he, you know, when Ko- they did the Kobashi firing, he was mad. He left Noah and went back to all Japan. He helped business there, like he spiked business there because of because he had he had built that cachet. So he's an easy yes for me. Do you, would you have handled you know when when Noah launched? Like it was very clear, like this, he was the star in waiting uh, to to ascend to that level. Would you have handled Akiyama any differently when Noah? began of you know this being a guy that maybe he's a three-year plan instead of somebody that you know there, there was a lot placed on him and ultimately it was Masawa and Kobashi that largely you know got Noah up and running from that 2003 match onward and Akiyama I think that is how a, a big part of his legacy is in Noah these giant shoes he was expected to fill is it necessarily an indictment that he was not two of the greatest of all time in Masawa Kobashi that just being uh in the in that orbit that should be enough hindsight being 2020 I would have had him be the one who beat Kobashi to end Kobashi's like incredible legendary run with the GSC title not Takeshi Rikyo I think that was ultimately a really bad idea I understand the idea you want to make him a star but he didn't have you know the he didn't have the talent or the persona or really anything that matched Akiyama. Akiyama, if he got that rub, if he, if he was the one who beat Kobashi, and storyline-wise, it would have made much more sense based on the history of Kobashi and Akiyama. So I think that's the thing that really did him in as far as like being the guy that you saw on the same level in the eyes of a lot of a lot of fans, not me. I, I see him in the same level as Misawa and Kobashi as far as like the legacy of Noah it goes. Yeah, I I think he gets in this year. I think that, you know, if you are someone that you put um match quality, I mean, it's a no-brainer for for Junakiyama and I think I think his drawing is underrated to be honest. I think people just, you know, dismiss him as not being a draw. I don't think that that's quite accurate when you look at at his history and that this guy um did, did he light a company on fire? No, but he was not, you know, I I think that that's a, a part of his history that sometimes gets overlooked uh, he was well. he was a legit tag team draw both with when he was teaming with misawa and when he was teaming with kobashi especially that was a, a drawing like drawing tag team with matches against like tawe and kawada uh, like in budokan and other places like so i would agree with you john like people don't take into fact that oh it was only kobashi it was kobashi and akiyama as burning that drew a lot of great houses before the split happened so yep Three-time tag team of the year. He had a two-time match of the year winner. I'm just looking at some accolades here. I mean, this is, you know, you, you look at, at the accolades portion. Like, this is a Hall of Fame career. And I think last year, I would imagine a lot of voters, they maybe had one or two votes left. And they went with Yuji Nagata over Jun Akiyama. And with Nagata going in last year, I see Akiyama being a beneficiary of that. And I think that should get him the necessary votes to get the extra 5% and go in this year. So yeah. we'll see. It's very hard to predict some years who goes in and who doesn't go in. Shima, this is a guy I have voted for for numerous years. I feel that his influence alone is astounding. I think that Dragon Gate as a company, I think hand to glove goes with Shima's legacy and it's a company that has been you know been able to stand on its own two feet for its entire existence and I think a company that doesn't always get enough spotlight for how consistent their business is um a performer that you talk to modern day 
performers that were greatly influenced by him in um, the era of tape trading and digital ma- uh, matches being available digitally. He is someone that um, as well, I think his name that much more known now just because he's getting a bit of a U.S. spotlight now as well through AEW. Uh, however, I guess I am in the minority because he has not performed all that well, only 24% last year, and I can't imagine him making such a inroads that he'll even sniff inclusion this year. But where, where do you fall on Shima? Oh, he's an, again, he's an easy yes for me. There would be no Toriyaman without him. Like, people will say, like, it's it was him and Magnum Tokyo. Yeah, okay. Those two, like, you know, were the driving, like, draws of early Toriyaman. But it was Shima, like Shima and Crazy Max were the top unit, top drawing heel unit in the company. And then they became a top drawing babyface unit. And then when the Ultimo Dragon split happened, uh, they formed Dragon Gate. He's, res- he's largely responsible because Magnum Tokyo quickly left. It was Shima was like him and Dragon Kid were really the only guys from the original Toriyama class who stayed like in Don Fuji as well. But Don Fuji is a, a mid card guy. So yeah, Shima's an easy guy. Like, I don't think Dragon Gate is where it is without Shima. I mean, he's responsible for bringing a lot of the foreign talent that, that passed through Dragon Gate, Ricochet, Pac, the Young Bucks, like El Generico. Like, he's responsible for all those guys. Cause like, he's the one who pays attention to the United States scene or in the UK scene and finds these, these like undiscovered talents. And then like, you know, the, the Young Bucks will tell you like a lot of their like, you know, early success and like the, their evolution as a tag team came through working Dragon Gate first before they even went to New Japan. So like, and then Ricochet, you know, he, he became the star he is because of his time teaming with Shima, being discovered by Shima in Dragon Gate USA and then being brought over to Dragon Gate proper. Like Ricochet will tell you that, like, like this guy is responsible for the success I've had in my career. So he's a top draw. He's, he's a, he's an amazing trainer. Um, giant, like, he left Dragon Gate and then he became a legit draw outside of Dragon Gate with strong hearts. Like, they popped the attendance and interest in Russell One. They, they popped, you know, uh, cards that they appear on for DDT and Big Japan. So, you know, like this OWE thing, that's a big mess. That's probably not going to happen now, but it doesn't matter. Like, in Japan, the guy's a legit legend. He's a legit draw. He's such an amazing worker. The thing that hurts him, I think, he's he's never had a, a string of amazing singles matches. Like, if you look at his singles match career, like, it's not as extensive as, say, like, Akiyama. It's not as extensive as, say, like, Shingo Takagi, who I think will get in eventually, or, like, you know, other candidates like Kodobushi. He has a, a, a fair number of great singles matches but there's not you it's surprisingly small compared to like other candidates the tag team of satoshi kojima and hiroyoshi tenzon they got 17 percent last year and they are on the ballot as a team as opposed to individually uh let's be honest they're not getting in as a tag team uh individually do you see a case for either one um and do you think it strengthens strengthens either one to just be on their own yeah i think this team is like, I don't know why they're on the ballot. Like to me, that's vastly overrating their, their legacy as a team, but individually, yeah, Kojima for sure. He, him and Mudo helped keep all Japan solvent in like the, the 2000s when they went over there, when they jumped ship from New Japan. Um, I think he's 
been a legit like draw from Japan, even when he was in all Japan, when he do the G1 climaxes and he do the, he did the big match with Tenzon. And as far as Tenzon goes, yeah, I, I would think he has a stronger case individually because he was one of the few guys who was able to like keep his legitimacy in a time where guys like Yuji Nagata were being sacrificed to like Mirko Krokop and losing their credibility with the fans for a while. He's the one who like, who like would draw people to the G1s because like he, he, you know, he had the string of amazing G1, G1 runs. And like, I would know because I covered, you know, a lot of his finals. Like, so yeah, I would definitely think that Kojima, Kojima would be an easy yes for me. Tenzan, I'd have to really dive deep into like, the, the numbers that he did for when he was the cha- IWGP champion and like the G1 attendances and things like that. But I would say I'm, a pr- I'm leaning towards a yes individually for him as well. Wow. Okay. Um, I, I agree in the sense that I think both have more interesting cases on their own than as a, than as a tag team. Um, Yoshiaki Fujiwara, he got 38% last year. Um, uh, Fujiwara is not a guy that I, I really need to do myself like more research into. Uh, I haven't voted for him in the past. I probably won't be this year, but admittedly, I, I probably have to do more uh, digging into Fujiwara. But um, a- any just kind of um, overall impressions of uh, Yoshiaki Fujiwara, who I-, I don't expect to go in this year. No, I think he's a very influential figure, definitely. But he was never, as far as I can tell, like not a big draw in, in you know on his own um, and. Yeah, I, I, you know, he, he created like, you know, PWF, what, pro wrestling Fujiwara Gumi, his own shoot promotion after he left New Japan, which, you know, gave rise to like rings and, and UWF, UWFI, what have you. But as, as an individual wrestler, no, I, I don't see him going in. I don't think he, you can make a case for him as far as my own research goes, John. So. Hayabusa. This is always an interesting one where I think when you say his name to a lot of people, it's a knee jerk. Of course, Hayabusa's got to go in. Influential, attached to FMW, which is a very, I think, underappreciated promotion in terms of what it did. Uh, he got 32% of the vote last year. Of course, his career was uh, tragically cut short in 2001 with uh, when, when he got paralyzed. Um, 32% of the vote last year. Um, do you expect a surge for Hayabusa and... You know, give us like a, a sense of you know his placement in the overall landscape. I think what hurts Hayabusa is that he never got to prove to be a draw because of the way Asushi Onita booked himself to be the top guy in FMW. He never put over Hayabusa. He never put over Mike Awesome, the Gladiator. He never put over Masato Tanaka, and that hurt FMW when Onita finally left that company and they struggled like, you know, as great as, you know, as popular as Hayabusa was, he was very much a niche wrestler. And I I don't mean to dismiss FMW. It was a very important promotion, very influential. You see their influence in companies like big Japan pro wrestling. You you even see it like ECW back in the day, you see it in like companies like GCW in in America. But, you know, like once Olinia left, it it never really became a a top drawn company. You know, it was a very, you know, average drawing company from what I can tell. Hayabusa, very good wrestler, very influential, but he wasn't like a worker like, like Jushin Thunder Liger was. He was never a worker like, you know, Koji Kanemoto was or, or even Masato Tanaka. Like, 
Masato Taka is a way better wrestler. I like Hayabusa, but I would never say like he's uh, a next level like worker. Like he's very much kind of like a, a Japanese version of Rob Van Dam in that like Rob Van Dam is a spectacular wrestler. Was he a great worker in terms of like, you know, being smooth and like being a scientific wrestler? No, but Hayabusa is kind of the same way, like a daredevil, but like unless he's in there with someone really, really great, I, I tend to find that the matches I've seen him in kind of would fall apart sometimes. Um, so yeah, like, I'd like to say yes, but like, based on my own research, I'm, I'm gonna say no. I, w- I wouldn't vote for him. Uh, then we go, I'm gonna group these four together because they all have kind of interesting, uh, crossover because they're all current stars, or at least, uh, with the exception of Kenny Omega, current New Japan stars. So we have Kota Ibushi, Tetsuya Naito, Kenny Omega, and joining the ballot for the first time is Tomohiro Ishii. Of the four, last year, Kenny Omega did the best with 49%. Naito came in last year, 21%. And Kota Ibushi, 16% of the vote. Um, a, a test I always use is that because I always have a hesitancy to vote for people as they're in the midst of their careers in their prime years. But I sometimes argue that point with the idea, if this person were to retire tomorrow, are they in the Hall of Fame? And for me, of these four, I feel... Very confident that I, I think Kenny Omega is like knocking on the door of that for me. I feel Kota Bushi is there. Um, Naito, I think is, I, I'm kind of at the same point uh, with Naito as I am with Omega. It's like, I expect both to be in. I don't know if it'll be this year. Tomohiro Ishii, I'm not quite there yet on him to be voting for him, but, um, make your cases for either or none of these. Uh, um, WH. Okay. So for three of them, not at this time, but definitely. If, you know, their trajectories continue as they have been, like, yes, like Naito, Omega, and Bushi are going to get in eventually. I, I wouldn't vote for them this year. I, I don't, I, like you, I, I, I hesitate to vote for people who are in the prime of their careers. I want to see what their longstanding legacy is before I would vote for anyone to go into the Hall of Fame. Ishii, great worker, an amazing worker, but he's never been a draw. Never. I, I can. And that's a major criteria. Like, as, you know, this wrestler, it's, it's really, it's like the last six years are the Hall of Fame case for Tomohiro Ishii. And yeah, like phenomenal wrestler, but that's, that's not the, the be all end all. Like I, I think you do have like the drawing component is there. Like that is a part of the criteria. He's, despite his popularity, John, like, you know, Ghetto has never trusted him to headline, you know, on top of like any really major cards. Like he'll headline, a G1 card. He'll headline maybe this title match, like he'll have with like Omega on like a, a destruction show or something. But is he ever going to headline the Tokyo Dome? No. Is he going to headline a Budokan show or a Sumo Hall show of King of Pro Wrestling? I doubt it. Um, I think he could draw, but he's never been given the chance. They don't trust him to draw, John. Like they trust him to have an amazing match and they trust him to be a gatekeeper. And they trust him to be like, uh, you know, oh, who can we slot into this challenger role for? We've run out of everyone. Oh, let's put Ishii in there. You know, if it was just based purely on great matches, yeah, he's in. But he's like, you know, that's that's not the only criteria. Uh, for for Kota Ibushi, he's thirty seven now. We do have, you know, quite a quite a range of stuff to evaluate him on. How important is the next six months, in particular, if? Um, 
how the the Tokyo Dome is structured, where he is now under contract in New Japan, you figure that they could go all the way with him. Is this next year kind of that um, that final kind of hurdle for him to to convince people? Because I, I was stunned last year he didn't get more support, but I feel a lot of people are just of the belief that uh, they probably believe he probably will be there, but not ready to make that definitive judgment yet. I'm going to say I'm not sure what the makeup of people who can vote who vote in the Japanese portion of the Hall of Fame is, John. But I got to say his maybe his time in DDT doesn't help his case because he did a lot of like comedy. Like if you have a lot of voters who don't who like the comedy, who don't care about the comedy, like him wrestling a blow up doll. okay, then, you know, like I would legit he was a big draw. Him and Omega were both big draws for for DDT. They, and, they like, took DDT to bigger buildings as a as a result of them. Like he's you know directly responsible for that certainly. But I think you know there's there's this like prejudice against DDT. Like I I confess I I have a bit of a bit of it myself. I, it's not a company that I necessarily enjoy. I don't hate them anymore, but like I respect them. But like it's something like yeah they're not for me i can think i can see a lot of voters people who actually have ballots like looking at ddt and thinking yeah they're not for me i don't really count that but i would like i would put it into content you know into consideration for voting for both omega and for for abushi the thing i think with abushi the next year like he has to be the champion i i think if naito wins the title at wrestle kingdom john then the person he should lose it to is Ibushi, and then you give Ibushi this mega run. And I think I think he can knock it right out of the park as far as being a draw, as far as having amazing matches. If that happens, he's a shoe in the the next year or the year after that. Do you think Kenny Omega gets in this year? He, as I mentioned, he had forty nine percent last year. You know, if anything, I think if he had had a full schedule this year, I think he probably would have been in if he had another G one in him. Uh, but this year, you know, the, the biggest attribute he's got going is the Tokyo Dome with Tanahashi this past year. And the, and ultimately, I think it's a certain wait and see about AEW, but he's certainly uh, of the four. If there's one going in this year, it would be Kenny Omega. I gotta say, like, you know, like he, the way he's been booked in AEW hasn't really, you know, wouldn't change my mind to vote for him this this year like i i think when he wins the title and he'll eventually win the title and he has this run that's similar to when he was the iwgb champion and aw is still continuing like flourishing in terms of their their ratings and their their pay-per-view buys and their box office attendance then yeah then he's gonna have a great case to go in maybe the year after or the you know when he becomes the champion is the year he's gonna go into the hall of fame because then he'll have the to be proven like to be a box office draw. I, I mean, you could argue like about his box office appeal, like in new Japan. Like I would argue that, you know, people overestimate his box office appeal. Cause I think he's more riding the wave of the popularity of new Japan. I'm not saying he didn't help that. Of course he did, but AEW, I think will be the thing that will cement his legacy as, you know, as a hall of famer and, as you know, like as some as a mover and shaker in the professional wrestling industry, along with like the Young Bucks and Cody Rhodes. Final two here. We've got uh, Mako Satomura, who's on for the first time, and Akira Tawe. Um, let, let's start off with uh, with uh, Satomura. That's an interesting addition this year, and someone that I think a lot of people just unfamiliar with her entire body of work and what she has provided for 
the Joshi scene over the totality of her career? I think she's one of those wrestlers that if she wasn't around, I don't think the Joshi scene would have recovered to the extent it has where we have like, you know, like a multiple number of promotions that do fairly well. You have like her own include, included Sendai girls. Um, she, she wrestled for Gaia Which, girls. That, that's sorry to interrupt, but that, that statement alone you make, like that to me is as important as any in ring argument. Like if you believe that the scene is drastically different with her exclusion, then that's, that's a huge feather in her cap. She's a big draw. Like you put her on multiple number of shows for different companies. She, she drew for those companies. So, you know, like we have this champion. We want to establish this champion as being, uh, you know, like as good as any other wrestler in the Joshi scene. Let's call up Mako Satomura. Hey, can you put this person over? Yeah, I'll do a, like a three month program with them. At the end, they'll beat me. Okay. She does that. Like she's an amazing worker. Obviously people who've seen her in the Mae Young Classic know this. People who've seen her work in Japan, they know this. Um, so she fits the criteria of being an awesome worker, having great matches. I think she's very important to the business of Joshi specifically in, in, in Japanese wrestling. Um, I think you're going to see her influence with all the trainees that she's, she's putting out through her, her own promotion of Sendai girls like Chihiro Hashimoto, Dashizako, Mika Iwata, and Mesa Rugas is someone that's going to be a, a big star. I feel in the future for Joshi. These, these things are going to cement her. I would vote for her today if I had a ballot, John. Like, I just think the, the contribution she's made to the overall scene in the last 10, 15 years is uh, worth it alone. And Akira Tawe, he did very well last year, 52%. Um, you know, he seems to be someone that he, he's on the cusp, and it ultimately comes down to how much you value his his positioning in All Japan as one of their consistent tops top stars within, you know, mixed with a group that are slam dunk Hall of Famers. He's not a slam dunk to many, but um, clearly a lot of support. I love Akira Tawe, John, and, and I say this as someone who didn't love Akira Tawe when I first saw him back in the, like, the 90s. I was getting tapes from our friend, you know, The Mouth. I was like, this guy looks so weird, and he, he wrestles so, like, you know, strangely compared to, like, Masawa and Kawada and Kobashi and even Akiyama. But it's not till later that I gain appreciation for the way he wrestles and like what he kind of represents, which is kind of this throwback to like, you know, the Showa era of wrestling with like Jumbo and, and Tenru and even Baba himself. But, you know, he kind of rode the wave of Misawa and Kawada and Kobashi. I don't think on his own he is a draw. I think with Kawada, the Holy Demon Army tag team, yes, definitely. Um, I'm, it's a very hard no for me. Like, I think he's on the cusp. Like, someone would have to make the argument to me for me to change my mind. But if I'm saying right now, John, hey, you're going to vote for Akira Tawe? Uh, no. Like, if I have a choice of only five and, like, you know, it's between him and, say, Akiyama, I'm voting for Akiyama over, over him. Yeah, and we should mention, for those unfamiliar with the voting process, like, this is just a Japanese section, and on your entire ballot, you're given 10 votes, and then you can also add the non-wrestler category, which doesn't go against your 10. So you are limited by numbers as well. And I, like, there's years I don't even go the, the full 10. Like, I don't, I don't necessarily believe I gotta fill out 
my ballot if I'm not 100% on somebody either. But I'd say of the Japanese candidates this year, I think that um, I'll continue to vote for Shima. I think that Junakiyama gets a vote. And beyond that, I if I'm just trying to forecast of who goes in this year, I could see Kenny Omega going in this year. Um, that that would be my prediction. I don't know if we'll get much more than that. I don't see. I'm going to vote for Shima. I'm not expecting him to go in. Akiyama and Omega would be my favorites of the two. But um, do, do you see anyone else getting the requisite support uh, to get the sixty percent? No, not not right now. I think it's too early. I think people were kind of like regretting voting Nakamura in when they did, maybe. So I think people are a lot more careful these days about who they vote for, especially like maybe the the younger people who have the ballot, like people around your age or younger. Uh, before we uh, wrap up the show, we, uh, we have gone lengthy here. Yeah, in the non-wrestler section, Ghetto is on the ballot and Naoki Sugabayashi that I don't expect is going to, uh, the chairman is going to, or at least former chairman is going to get much support. But Ghetto... Um, I see, I see a very good shot that he goes in on his first try. Oh, me too. I mean, like you can point to the success of New Japan on his booking, but also, you know, on the support of Bushiroad. Like people can't just say, oh, it's all because of Ghetto's booking. Yes, he, he is a very good booker. There's a lot of things about his booking that I can nitpick and, and point out that I don't like. I'm not going to get into those today, but. Overall, yes, he, cause what he's really good at, John, is creating stars. He is very, very good at creating stars, but he had, the, he has the luxury of having the backing of a major company like Bushi Road to allow him to have the patience to create stars like Naito, to create stars like Okada, obviously. Um, and like to some extent, Kenny Omega, you know, he created the, the version of Kenny Omega that we see today, good or bad, depending on your viewpoint, but those, those played into the success of New Japan. Uh, so yeah, I would I would vote for him if like I'm picking a non-wrestler. He's going in for sure. Sugabashi, I would have to really like kind of find out more how hands-on he was with exactly. running the business of New Japan, you know, as opposed to just being like, oh, he was the president at the time. That doesn't necessarily mean he's responsible for the success of the company. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. All right, so uh, on the next show, well, we don't know when the... Uh the observer will be announcing the class. It may not be for for a little while, but whenever the results go th- go out, we'll definitely uh, spend some time going over uh, the ballot results, specifically the Japanese section. But that's going to wrap it up. You won't have to wait long. WH will be back Saturday, October twenty sixth, with the launch of Thunderstruck, featuring Damon McDonald on episode number one. Uh, wh- do you know which match you will be discussing, or is that a mystery? Oh, we talked about the, uh, the Naoki Sano match, the second one, the rematch for the IWGP Junior Heavyweight title. If, if you haven't seen that match, I it's on New Japan World. You'll need an account, of course. It's an amazing match. And it's actually, John, some of these matches I've never seen until I've reviewed them for this show. <laughs> so this well, is one of them. I, I, yeah, I, I am it. sure there's going to be a lot of people listening that um, – may not have seen some of these matches. So it gives you a good chance to go back, either rewatch or watch for the first time some of uh, Liger's uh, past classics. So I think this is going to be a really interesting time over these last few months as people really put the Liger career into context and what a influential uh, figure this guy was. Um, someone that was part of the very inaugural Hall, Hall of Fame class, and I don't think you would have any arguments against that. So, WH, as always, uh, great to chat with you. I hope all is safe over the weekend, uh, you and uh, 
everybody that may be in that part of the world uh, listening to this. We uh, we wish you the best. I'll uh, Stay safe. Uh, keep it, keep it, keep an eye on my Twitter feed. You'll uh, see if I'm okay or not. All right, we will we will follow along at WH Park Nine. Uh, we will be back next month. The two of us chatting uh, probably sometime around uh, Power Struggle. So we will chat with you then. Thank you for listening.